As we continue our 1 Timothy series, we're finishing out chapter 3 today and then heading into chapter 4 and the first few verses of chapter 4. So go ahead, have those Bibles open in front of you, ready to see what God has for us today. Uh, Last week, we took an extended look at what godly leadership is to look like. We saw that character over a function is key. The character of a godly leader is one that needs to be clearly above reproach in all aspects of life. Whether it be an elder or a deacon, they are to be held account for their behaviour and then they are to be followed if they are deemed above reproach. Now with last week's sermon, we concluded the three key areas of ministry that Paul lays before us in 1 Timothy. Sound doctrine, sound conduct and sound leadership. But with the end of chapter 3, we're going to see a distinct shift in content from the positive reinforcement of godly principles, shifting to the warning against matters that would have the potential to destroy the ministry of the church. In today's passage, we're ultimately going to be looking at the defence of sound doctrine, sound conduct and sound leadership. How do we make sure that these principles are true in the church today? More than that, how do we spot those who would seek to lay waste to these principles in the church? And what I hope to do today is to equip you with the understanding of how to sure up sound doctrine and conduct in your lives and to show you how to spot the telltale signs of when people are going to try and lead you astray and take you away from these principles. In so doing, we seek to guard the church, ensuring it does not stray into controversy or from the eternal word of God. Essentially, today's sermon is a rally call to stop being passive Christians on the sidelines. Rather, it is time to suit up with the armour of God and get into the battle. For the defence of the gospel message that brought you salvation through Jesus Christ is of utmost importance in the church today. So as we look at this passage, and with all this in mind, we're going to head into 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Remember, Paul had been with Timothy. When he instructed Timothy to remain in Ephesus, he then went on to the church in Macedonia. Verse 14 suggests that Paul was seeking to return to Ephesus to continue to work with Timothy in that revitalization project of the church in Ephesus. Now, we're not told why, but clearly this visit was either cancelled or delayed. However, Paul doesn't want to leave Timothy alone, so he writes this letter of 1 Timothy to strengthen Timothy and give him further instructions as how to bring that revitalization to the church. Note in verse 14 the mention of these things, which ultimately refers to the theme of the letter, namely the conduct and doctrine of the church. Paul is sharing with Timothy not only what to expect from the church, but what Timothy will need to teach with regards to such matters as conduct and doctrine to then see it coming out and outworking within the church. The church, therefore, is instructed to behave in such a way that it reflects the household of God. The Greek word here for household is oikos, which refers to the family of God, the house of God. Consider Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
Followers of Jesus are no longer strangers to the family and household of God. They're made citizens, members through faith in Christ Jesus. This household is the church of the living God, a common phrase in the Old Testament, Psalm 84, 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for the joy to the living God. I don't want you to miss this today. We're going to just pause and camp out here for just a second. The church is not dead. It's not an institution that's simply noted on a charity commission piece of paper. It is the church, the family, the household of the living God. Not a dead God, not a powerless God, but a living and active God. A God that defeated sin and death through the cross of Christ. This is the household of God that you belong to through faith in Christ Jesus. Yet we must remember, it's not a human institution. It is God's house. Therefore, it is God's rules. Paul is instructing the church of the living God to behave in such a way that they reflect the commands of God and what God expects of us. They're to treat one another and most importantly, the gospel message with utmost dignity and holiness. Now, we've seen this command already to have sound doctrine, chapter one, sound conduct, chapter two, and a sound leadership, chapter three. This is what is expected in the household of the living God. Incredibly, though, the church is more than the household of the living God. If that was not already an almighty, incredible prize won for us in Christ Jesus, the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar is an architectural element that holds up an immense structure, usually quite an immense and ornate roofing situation. Whereas a buttress is a foundational support. It's the bedrock of what all else sits on. And so when we apply this to the context of the passage, what we're seeing is the church, the household of the living God, made up of those who faithfully live and serve King, for King Jesus, hold up the truth and set a foundation for the truth to flourish. We hold it up as the pillar of truth and we set a foundation for it to flourish as the bedrock, as the buttress of truth. And what do we mean by truth? Well, simply the word of God. And I want you to see this. Jesus is the word, John 1.1, 1, 1, who was in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, whom we find salvation in John 3.16, and who now as the church, the household of the living God, were now to hold up and foundationally support the truth, which is the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. This is what is expected from the household of God. What we're talking about here is that there's an expectation of the church to hold firm to the word of God and put in place an environment where the word of God can be spread and truly ignite souls for Christ and his work. The church is to steward the word of God. We're to guard the word of God. It is our role to defend the word of God. We're to set a foundation so that people can grow and develop their faith in a desperate need for a savior in Jesus Christ. So this is the expectation of the church. This is why Paul is writing for the church in Ephesus to get back to the word of God, setting an environment for it to flourish in people's lives. So now that Paul has already established this in chapter one, here in chapter three, he wants to make sure we know what it means to behave in such a way that it has been expectant of us and it's evident in our lives in the life of the church. So how do we do this? How do we behave in this sort of way? 
Well, wonderfully, Alistair Begg helps us a lot here by giving us a structure. And I'm going to use the structure headings to allow us to have a bit of insight into what the behavior is here. But from the structure headings, I'll then elaborate a little bit more into detail. So using Alistair Begg's structure headings, I'll then take us a little bit deeper to show how we are to behave in being the pillar of truth and the buttress of truth. For the church, the household of the living God, to be a pillar and foundational support to the truth, we need to do ultimately seven things. The first one is we must hear the word and then believe the word. We must hear the word and believe the word. Consider 2 Corinthians 4.13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. We're to hear the word of God. Whether that be through our own personal devotions, our weekly Bible teaching, the daily devotions, the house group studies, or in any other way, we are to hear the word proclaimed. We are then to believe in its truth. Yet more than that, we're to speak its truth. So you see, when you know the truth, you cannot help but tell others. If you're not telling others, if you're not simply bursting with anticipation to share the gospel truth of Jesus, then it might be the case that you've never actually truly heard and believed the wonderful truth of the Saviour and Jesus Christ. As the church hears and believes the truth of Scripture, it sets an environment where more is desired, for life will flow from the very words of God. It's foundational for the church to seek the word of God taught to believe and then speak it out. The second thing we must do is we must memorize scripture. Consider Psalm 119, 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, many will simply be saying that they don't have a decent memory. In fact, I'm one of them. I'm pretty poor at remembering things. But see what this verse says. When we store up the word of God, when we memorize it and have the word of God resting on our hearts, then we're led to holiness and away from sin. For the church of the living God to behave as the household of God, to be a pillar of the truth, we are to use scripture to defend ourselves from temptation and sin. It is the word of God that protects, that guards, that is a mighty fortress around the believer's heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. Far too many attacks from Satan have succeeded simply because the church cannot remember what the word of God has declared. How do I know that this is true? Well, was that not the first sin? When Satan managed to cause doubt, for there was little memory of the very words of God. If we cannot remember the word of God, we are a useless pillar of the truth, for we do not even know what we're holding up, and therefore we must memorize, store up the word of God on our hearts so that we would not sin against God. And thirdly, we are to meditate on the word. Joshua 1.8 this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Now the word meditate is quite scary for some, yet it simply means to think deeply upon a matter. The church is to think deeply on the word of God. It's to take it seriously. We're to cast our minds on it. We're to ponder on it. We're to ponder how the truth then applies to our lives. And as we do this, we exemplify that the truth is a serious matter. We do not take the truth and treat it flippantly. We recognise its magnitude and the glory of Christ found within it. 
The church that does not meditate on the word of God will have their minds captured by all sorts of nonsensical debates and activities. If you're not thinking upon the word of God, you'll be thinking upon something else. Therefore, we're to fill our hearts so that we are not tempted, but we're also to fill our minds by meditating on the word of God so we're not captured by other things. Now, some of you might be thinking Ross seems to have departed from the passage here. He's going off on one here. But this is what it means to be a pillar of truth and a buttress of truth. This is what it means to be part of the household of God. This is what it means to behave in such a way that we reflect the living God to a fallen world. So stick with me as we continue into the fourth way that we guard and defend the truth of Scripture. Number four, we are to study the word of God. At 2 Timothy 3.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Your church is to present herself in a way that God would approve of. And that is done by rightly handling the word of truth. And the only way to rightly handle the word of truth is to study it, to get to know it, to get under the skin of it. We have far too many shallow preachers who hit a passage purely from the surface, giving at best half-truths, at worst complete fabrications of the truth. These are the false teachers of chapter 1 who incorrectly teach what is contrary to Scripture. To be a pillar of the truth, we must first know the truth. And you cannot know the truth by simply reading a verse every day or doing a devotion every so often. It takes a daily study, a daily examination, a daily investigation of the Word of God to truly know what it says. So to behave like the house of God and to be a pillar of truth, we must study the Word of God. Number five, we're to obey the Word. Luke eleven twenty eight, but he said, "Blessed are rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it." And notice when the blessing comes, not just in the hearing, but in the keeping of the word of God. John's gospel tells us that if we love God, we will keep His commands. To be a support to the word of God, growing and developing in the souls for Christ, we must ourselves be an example of obedience. And I'm not talking about obedience and doing the things that you're okay with and ignoring the tough commands. God expects his household, his family, the family of the living God to be holy in how they act, think and speak. Clearly only achieved through the righteousness of Christ Jesus. A church that is not obedient is like a cracked foundation. One that will see the building subside and one day entirely collapse. We must be a pillar of the truth by being obedient to the word of God. At number six, we're to defend the word. Philippians 1.16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul viewed it as a duty of every believer of Christ to defend the gospel. To defend is to know, to believe, to tell, and to live out the gospel truth in your own lives for the sake of Jesus. Sadly, in our society, we have often taken the tolerance argument as meaning we need to put up and shut up. But the Bible teaches another way. We're to defend with our very lives the word of God. This is what it means to be part of the household of the living God. We're to defend and to fight of all those who would destroy the church of Christ. We are to take God's word and we are to protect it. 
We need to worry less about the PC brigade, the social movements, the world's displeasure and the society trends of our time and focus on the task of the church to be the warriors of the word of God. In defending scripture, the church sets an environment where the truth can be freely preached, heard and believed. If we don't defend our right to preach the word of God, then people won't hear. And if people won't hear, then they won't believe. And if they won't believe, they are heading with a one-way ticket to hell. And therefore, we must defend our right to preach the word of God in entirety. And seventh and finally, we're to proclaim the word. Matthew 28 from verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The task of the church is not the bettering of a community. It is not to transform a city or even to be a voice of reason in society. All these things are good things, but that is not the task of the church. The task of the church is to proclaim the word, to go make disciples, to baptize them in the faith, and then to teach them the word of God. To be a pillar for the truth is to do the great commission and to take it seriously. Sadly, the church today is all too quick to abandon such a task. What does our community want? Well, let's do that. What does the church family want? Well, let's do that. What does society tell us to stop doing? Well, let's stop doing those things. All of that is nonsense for the primary task of the church is to be the pillar of truth by proclaiming the good news of Jesus, leading people to believe in the salvation provided in Jesus, then to teach them the whole counsel of God's word so that their faith will grow to that epinosis we know that is full knowledge in Christ Jesus. Folks, when we do these seven things, and I mean when we really get behind them as the church body, as the household of the living God, when we take these seven things and ignite them in the church, then we can be truly a pillar and foundation of the truth, creating an environment where souls are saved and nurtured. This is the behaviour that God expects. This is the behaviour that Paul teaches. This is the behaviour that Timothy is to command of the church. And this is the behaviour that we should be seeing in our own church. Let's keep moving in the text into the final verse of chapter 3 into verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What is the utmost importance to uphold and protect? Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. This is our common confession as believers in Jesus, the gospel account of our Saviour. It's the mystery of godliness, of the truth and righteousness of Christ, who was manifested in the flesh or revealed by becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ, who was vindicated by the Spirit, being declared as righteous and without sin, who was seen by the angels at his birth, death and resurrection, who was proclaimed amongst the nations, who was believed in all of the world and who was taken into glory when the Father accepted the completed work of Christ. And notice how Paul phrases this truth. Notice how he begins. Great indeed. Folks, this is what we stand for. This is what we become a pillar and foundation to. This is the truth of Jesus through whom we declare as members of the household of the living God that we belong to. And I hope that excites you. 
And if it doesn't, let me read verse 16 again and really grasp these monumental words. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed amongst the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Never lose the sight of the truth in these words. Hold firm to them. Don't be swayed from it. Stake your very life on this gospel account. And I cannot stress it anymore. To loosen our grip on this truth and to behave in a way that is contrary to what the household of the living God is expected to do will lead to catastrophic outcomes. And to make sure we grasp this, Paul further explains what happens when we loosen our grip as we head into chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. There will be some who will purposely leave the gospel behind. It is not that they've strayed a little, rather they've completely abandoned the truth of Scripture. They'll be closed to the truth. They'll refuse to believe in the authority of the whole canon of Scripture. And how is this even possible? How can one hear the word of God yet end up walking away from it? Well, we've already seen examples in Hymenaeus and Alexander in chapter 1, but it happens when you pay attention or you elevate the demonic. It comes from being lured away from the truth by deceitful and lying spirits. It comes from false doctrine being taught and believed. I want to be very clear here. False doctrines are not, as the phrase goes, subtle as a brick. They don't smack you always right in the face. They're more than often sounding spiritual, even sounding right. But scratch a little bit below the surface and you'll find the falsity. By then, you've already been sucked in, led astray, and are now a proponent of demonic doctrines. We need look no further than Bethel Church that sucks in the young people through their music only to teach them then a warped and twisted version of scripture. And it's been well documented across the last decade that this has been going on. But more is there. There's more issues coming. Verse 2. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. You see, demonic doctrines are taught by human agents. Just as God uses, by his grace, each of us to spread the good news, so Satan uses human agents to spread demonic doctrines. They may look like spiritual people, but they spout lies. They do so because their consciences have been destroyed and seared. They no longer desire what is right and wrong, no longer desire the ways of God. Instead, they seek only for themselves and whatever flag they're flying at that particular time. And we need to grasp this. Anything contrary to scripture is demonic doctrine. Anything contrary to scripture is demonic doctrine. And as I said, it's not always direct challenge to scripture, for Satan will find a crack to expose his doctrines. He will use church behaviours, society, church leaders, apathy, you name it, and he will try to use it to get his doctrines into the church. In the case of the church in Ephesus, Satan used the forbidding of marriage and the abstinence of certain foods despite his demonic doctrines. There were some that would depart from the truth in scripture and teach that to find salvation means that you must be single and you must not eat certain foods. Complete nonsense. 
It sounds spiritual enough to captivate people and loosen their grip on the truth, but it is complete nonsense to say that salvation comes from being single and not eating certain foods. For Paul has already declared that the gospel is Jesus Christ providing salvation by faith alone and faith in the blood of Christ shed for us on the cross. But I wonder, what is the modern day equivalent? If this is what was going on in the church of Ephesus, forbidding marriage and abstinence from certain foods, what is the modern day equivalent that the devil is using to take the church and stray them outwards, to take them and loosen their grip from the gospel truth? Maybe it's the love everyone approach movement that's been going on in the church for the last decade, which means that we depart from the biblical truth of gender and marriage. Or maybe it's the tolerance movement where we no longer can hold anyone to account for their behaviours. Worse still, it might be just the apathy of the social club that has turned the church into a place that is void of Jesus. They're all demonic lies developed into demonic doctrines that are slowly laying waste to the pillar of truth because the devil will use anything to cause a crack and to expose his demonic teachings to lead people astray and to destroy the church. Let me round out our passage from halfway through verse 3. That God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You see, we simply need to look at scripture to see the truth. God created marriage and food and he declared them both as good. They are gifts to enjoy for the household of God. Therefore, we cannot declare them wrong. Instead, we live in them, seeking to bring glory to the Creator. All things created are to be enjoyed for the praise and glory of Christ. The Word of God sanctifies and sets apart what is holy and pleasing to God. Through prayer, we're then able to communicate our thankfulness for such gifts of creation. And once again, we do so to the praise and glory of Christ. What about the equivalents in our day? What about gender and marriage and living for Christ in our society? What do we do with such false teachings that are arising and are prevalent in our time? We pick up our Bibles, we memorise it, we meditate on it, we study it, we obey it, we defend it, and then we proclaim the truth that is within it. Hebrews 13.9 Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. When we loosen our grip on the truth, on scripture, then we're in danger of being led away by diverse, strange and demonic teachings. To ensure that we guard both the word of God proclaimed and the word of God in our lives, we must return to scripture and return to what I preached three years ago now, sola scriptura. (coughs) Excuse me. On scripture alone we stand As Charles Spurgeon once said, the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. Uh, Let me close today with a singular application point. If we're to take this passage and truly believe that we are called to be pillars of the truth, foundational support to the truth, members of the household of the living God, and those who are resolute in the truth, then we must, and here is our one application point, stand on Scripture. It is the word of God that is to guide our church. It is by our firm grip on scripture that we will kick to the curb the nonsense of false doctrine and we will preach the gospel 
and people will come to believe in Jesus Christ. We won't be tolerant of the lies that the devil spreads through human agents. If the Bible says it is sin, then it is sin, and we will declare that. If the Bible says that a certain way of living is holy, then we will declare that. If the Bible tells us to live in a certain way, then we will live in that way. We won't have opinion, the fear of persecution, grumbling voices dictating what we believe, say and do. Instead, we'll have the Word of God through the Spirit as our sole guidance. If you're in any doubt today, to be a member of Lincoln Baptist Church is to stand for the truth of Scripture. If you stand for anything else, if you promote anything else, if your agenda is for anything else, then I would suggest you do one of two things today. Jump on board to that wonderful truth of the Word of God and know Jesus and His Word in its perfection, in its complete trustworthiness and live for it. Or jump off board, for we're not going to compromise the truth no matter how loud you may shout. The Church of Christ is for those who seek salvation and for those who want to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. That is it, the Great Commission and the Great Command. That is it, folks. That is what we're all about. We're not going to let the devil's agents in. We're not going to let the false doctrines in. We're not going to let persecution stop us. We're not going to let the grumbler slow us down. We are not going to stray away from Scripture, for it's the firm grip of Scripture that is the behaviour expected in the household of the living God as we exemplify what it means to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now I was going to end there but I think we need to end on a little bit of a positive note and so I want to read verse 16 again to us. I want us to really grasp the truth that we're standing for because when you truly believe that truth, when you truly have it in your heart, in your mind and are living it out, then you can take on the false teachers. You can flag the flag of Jesus. You can fly the flag of Jesus nice and high and you can be confident and insured because you know the truth with deep conviction. So here is verse 16 and on this I'll finish. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us from our sin, removes the guilt from our hearts and minds and sets us free to live a life for Jesus, for our Father, through the power of the Spirit. Father, we pray that we would have a firm grip on the Scripture. We would have a firm grip that we would not loosen for any reason. Father, we pray that you would help us be the pillar and buttress of truth. Father, we help, pray that you would help us behave in such a way that we are the household of the living God. Father, we pray that we would not be swayed by society, swayed by false doctrines, swayed by grumblers, swayed by persecution. Father, we pray that we'd be resolute on the truth of Scripture. And Father, we pray that as the Church at Lincoln Baptist, that as we do this, you would add to our number many that would be coming to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And Father, we do all of this and say all of this and preach all of this and pray all of this for the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. And so in his name we pray. Amen.